Good morning. With me, I have President Edward Inch, President at Minnesota State University Mankato, joining me. And it's been a while since we've chatted. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It has been a little while, but a lot of good things have been going on. Oh, it has been a busy time, I know, for for everybody here at the university. We just got over the spring break, so everybody had a little time to relax, and we're back at full strength again. Actually, we're back at full strength going full speed because the uh, the time between spring break and, and commencement is an opportunity for everybody to showcase what they've done all year, to celebrate the great victories we've had, to uh, enjoy what we've been able to do on our stages and in athletics, and, and championships are happening now. It's a, it's a remarkable time, a lot of fun. Right, and you mentioned the championships. The, the Mavericks are doing well. I know with the hockey, we've got the hockey, big game coming up on Thursday, correct? Big game on, on Thursday in uh, Fargo, uh, North Dakota. Uh, and it's, it'll be a key game. It's against uh, St. Cloud, and it determines who's, who goes on. And aren't they number two and we're number three? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, well, let's let's go Mavs. Go Mavs. Yeah. And I just got back from spending the NCAA championships with our track and field teams where our women's team are the national runners up by like seven tenths of a point. They oh. were intense and it was wonderful and it was wonderful to see how well our teams compete with one another and compete against national competition. It was, it was outstanding. Where was that at? That was in Virginia Beach. So a lot to be proud of. A lot to be proud of. And that's at this time of year. We have so many things that are going really, really well. We have research showcases that are coming up here in April. Uh, just a variety of things. Well, another thing that's happening is the legislature, and that is a continuing thing. This year is a yep. bonding year. And I know Minnesota State University is asking for more than $8.4 million in the construction package for design work for a replacement to MSU's outdated Armstrong Hall, that the classroom building. And the money also would be used to design a partial renovation of other campus buildings to house MSU programs. So how is that going? I mean, there's a big budget surplus, so everybody, of course, is with their hands out saying, me, me. How's it going for... That's true. Everybody has <laughs> yeah. their hands out. And, uh, you know, last year, no bonding legislation was passed. So this year, in addition to a budget year, uh, the legislature is picking up bonding. It looks like there may be... Uh, two different bonds that are bonding uh, bills that are passed. The first one will largely be similar to the one that was uh, designed last year in the leg uh, in the legislature that will be carried forward. So roughly in the same amount, and that includes, uh, at least in the governor's proposal, uh, eight and a half million or a million dollars for the Armstrong replacement, which is the design phase for the building, but also uh, changing around how we uh, envision the li some library space and some space in the clinical sciences building, mostly focusing on designing spaces that facilitate student learning and making sure that students have easy access to all the support systems that they need to be successful. And that has changed through the years of how Huge. that looks. Yes. And, and, you know, in part, it means that uh, the librarians are working diligently to call some of the library to open up space on the main floor and then to repurpose some of the space that's in the basement so that students have more learning spaces and collaborative learning spaces on the main floor of the library and to open that up and make it more inviting and welcoming. It's been a really good project that has been led by our librarians and the, and the leadership of the, of the team over there. What kind of a timeline are we looking for the Armstrong then? Obviously, like you mentioned the design work would be the first part, and how does that flow? Uh, so it would be a, a, over five years. We would oh, have would a new building would be the goal. 
Okay, I know a lot of people are waiting for that to happen because that is an older building that needs work. Yes, it's one of the oldest on campus, and uh, I mean it was open in '64, I think. So, and and it needs help. And the best help we can give it is to replace it with something that is much more modern, but also reflects the way we teach now. Because the way Armstrong was designed was very linear teaching. You know, lecture students take notes linear, as opposed to the more collaborative and engaged learning spaces we use now. Definitely, for sure. It's, it's really changed a lot since I was in college. <laughs> Me and too. <laughs> I, I have a son in college now, so it's neat to see how things have changed. And by the way, he enjoys it and is doing very well. well. That's good. Majoring in geology and uh, some, some uh, really Wonderful. interesting things that they yeah. learn here. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk with you about is the strategic planning. That has been an ongoing activity, I guess, that, that the administration has been working on for some time. And I'm just curious how things are going and where are we in the process? Well, they're going great. And the beauty of this plan is it's not administration-led. It is a group of, there's 30 people on a steering committee okay. that have worked hard to get lots of ideas and input from our community over the course of the last year. This process started last year when I outlined the five imperatives we needed to address in a strategic plan. And our uh, our uh, task force under the leadership of Vice President Lynn Akey have worked very hard to pull our community to at each of the meet and confers, go through what what the committee was working on, take input. We've been in our community. We've been to the uh, Greater Mankato Growth uh, Executive Board to share this out, as well as other community interests in town. Uh, we've had three or four focus groups on campus for community leaders. The goal of this plan is to engage our community in ways that support student learning, that, experience, that the experiences we provide our students are both in the classroom, but also with the ways that they can learn uh, by engaged in instruction in say with internship opportunities or or problem problem solving in real environments the launch of uh, our, the very first Minnesota Polytechnic Institute which we launched last uh, January is an example of this of how business partners and instructors and our staff work together to provide exceptional learning experiences for our students so the plan is, is one that I think is truly reflective of where modern education is going and should go, but also is reflective of the strengths that our community and our university can have together, leveraging each other's resources. So focusing on being able to provide lifelong access to uh, transformative education. So education doesn't just end when a student graduates here, that we stay connected, that uh, we will be a leader in creating transformative educational opportunities, and that's because we'll be able to use the expertise of our partners as well as having a first-class faculty here, being able to push our students to succeed at a tremendous level. And uh, the third you know, pillar being one of community of care built on our diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we will support one another as a community in the long-term success of our students and region, and that we're going to be innovative and nimble in how we use our resources so that we leverage every dollar to do the very best we can for every learner who comes to campus. Now, just this, well, I think it was, was it today maybe, actually came out a survey from you requesting the participation in the equity and diversity on campus climate survey. So mm -hmm. that seems like just something you're just talking about is that community care and making sure that we are addressing all the issues of campus climate equity and inclusion. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And where are you going to go with once you get these results? Well, what we're looking for first are, are baseline data. 
Mm-hmm. How are we doing right now? And that will inform areas where you might need to put in some more energy and time in working out areas where we have deficiencies. We also think, though, that we need to go beyond, far beyond what the data show us because we know that our state is changing. More and more of our students are first-generation students. More and more of our students uh, came from out of our state. Uh, and we, w- we believe our population, at least according to the last census, will in- increasingly diversify and we'll have more immigrants coming into our state. At the same time, Minnesota is a net exporter of qualified students who choose to go to other universities, not in our system. So about 5,000 students a year go out of state because they perceive that they will have a better opportunity going somewhere else. These data and building on this strategic plan, I believe, will help us bring students back into our state, give them a superior education, and set students on on a path of success throughout their careers. Now, you mentioned people leaving the state. Minnesota State is still among the best values for education in terms of what you spend for it, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think that beyond value, though, more and more students are asking about the outcomes. So they don't want to go into a lot of debt, but they will choose to go into debt if at the end of their program that they're assured or feel assured that they will be able to achieve at the level that they want. And so if we're not offering the programs that they want or the kinds of support, if we find gaps in the survey you mentioned, the climate survey, Mm -hmm. or in other areas, those are opportunities for us to think a little more deliberately, a little more strategically, about what choices can we make that are going to attract more of those 5,000 students here. What are the the prospects in the job markets now? It seems, you know, we have such a low unemployment rate. It seems like everybody should be able to get a job. But is it the type of jobs that the university is training people for? Well, and that's that's an important question. And, you know, most of the employers that I work with, and we've talked a lot across our region about what employers are looking for. They're looking for students who have a passion, they have energy, they know how to learn, they can work in teams, they understand how to do creative problem solving, Mm -hmm. and how to be good critical thinkers. And the name of the major is less important than the quality of the experiences that our students have. So we think the reorientation that we're making with this plan around experiential learning, connections with the region, connections with the, the major employers of the region, will be a significant a part of a student's choice about where to go. On top of that, as as good of a value as we are, more and more our students are looking at the endpoint. So what's our value in relation to what they should expect in terms of outcome? Career, have we prepared them sufficiently? Will they be able to engage at high levels in whatever path they choose? Will we continue to be available for them for ongoing learning as they go through their career arc? Our goal is to say, yes, we will, we will shape programming to meet your ongoing needs because I don't really think we're done with our students after four years. They may need or want more. And I I think that's an opportunity for us to build out, create a long-term pathway for students so that they have a resource throughout their lifetime. Do we have any data that shows how we're doing in that area now? We have some, and it says the programs that we have are doing very well, but we're not packaging broad ranges of programs that will work with somebody over a career arc, and we are we have some gaps. Okay. So part of the work we need to do is identify where the gaps are and help begin building out those things that our, that our students will continue to want and that our employers will want. What are some of our big programs that are going to be in high demand, do you feel, in the next, I don't know, 10 years or so that we really need to work on? No, that's a, that's a great question. Anything related to health care, oh. and it's more than nursing. 
It's healthcare administration. It is uh, it, it is the other kinds of healthcare opportunities from. Uh, what you might get through exercise science, what you might get through long-term physical conditioning, to uh, being able to manage supply chains in healthcare. We know that uh, uh, entrepreneurship will become an increasingly large area as more and more of our students are engaging in entrepreneurial programs, as are uh, alums who are coming back trying to learn more about entrepreneurship and about how they can establish their own brand, their own mark. I think there will be more demand for micro-narratives. If you look where students are going now, building out like TikToks or YouTube videos, telling a story in a minute, okay, yeah. that that is becoming an increasing, increasingly large part of marketing, increasingly large part of creating uh, op-eds are these micro-narratives that make a quick, swift point that are highly consumable. And I think those are areas that uh, we have opportunities to be able to, to uh, broaden our, our students' experience and to engage them at, at some different levels than we have before. I feel like I read somewhere, and I don't remember where it was, that students nowadays don't necessarily look like we did when we were younger, where you're going to build a career, where you have a, a path that you sort of follow that you know leads to this and then to this, to your ultimate career goal. And a lot of times, some of them take different jobs, just kind of where their interest takes them. That's exactly right. And, and students will tend to stay within the same umbrella. You know, if they're interested in healthcare, they're interested in healthcare. But they may not be a nurse all of the time. They may not be, you know, any other, you know, particular path. They may change around wherever their interests are. If you're interested in the arts or creative activity, you may move between media to theater and stage to, comp to, to writing screenplays. Uh, students are moving within their areas of passion. And it's not uncommon now for a student over a, a career will have seven different positions, give or take. I mean, I'm older and I've had seven positions. Really? I think that becomes more the norm. Okay. as we go through as we go through through life and and I think part of our job is to make sure that students making shifts well where I was move you know, we had many students that were coming out of the uh, the extremely hard work in Silicon Valley of mm -hmm. coding or developing applications and things choosing to be teachers so a big shift from what but they wanted to teach students about STEM about computer science and they needed to learn how to do that so we had programs that supported students doing that I think the same is happening here and making sure that we align our programs to where the students future needs are going to be will be an ongoing challenge but a real opportunity for the university. Another, I don't know if it's called a trend or what you would call it, but that I've read about is that maybe we won't even be declaring majors anymore so much as an area of interest. I had one student I interviewed for a job the other day, and I asked her what her major was. She says, well, I don't really have a major. And she named five different areas, and they were all within the arts, the theater, the vocal performance, and all, you know that, that kind of path, I, I guess you'd call it. So is that something that could even be a possibility in the future? Oh, I, I think you'll see that by the end of the uh, decade. Really? That uh, employers are telling us that they're hiring based on a package of skills that they're asking okay. students to have. And so I think you will see degree pathways that are more going to be around what a student's, where a student's passions are and how that aligns with the kinds of employment that they want to have. So I believe we will see more individualized kinds of approaches. And that the name on a major, I was in communication. That was kind of something I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So if, my, if the name on my major helps me uh, excel, do the things I'm best at in accumulating, developing, and honing skill sets that are employable, that will, that will be a good and a positive thing, but it won't be because that's what employers are asking for. 
employers are looking for skill sets okay. by and large. Now, obviously, if uh, you're, you're an accounting firm, you really want CPAs, right. right? Or I really want my nurse to be licensed. But for, you know, I was communication. Does communication mean that I get one kind of job and, and somebody in history gets a different kind of job? I think those will start blending more and more. They are now. It'll be interesting to see then how that will be marketed because that will certainly be a different approach for, I guess, the way we've been used to, to looking at it. It is. And we're in a position now where students more and more uh, have increasing power as a consumer choosing what's the type of experience that they want. And so the name on the credential, I believe, will become less important than the experience the university can provide for the student. And what everything I'm reading tells me that it's going to be an experience in an area that the student is passionate about, whether it be filmmaking and being able to work with studios, whether it be computer engineering, be able to work with high-tech companies. What does that experience look like, and how is it that we can deliver that for our students? Are we poised to deliver that now, or are we in the process? Oh, yeah. We, we have very good models that we can okay. scale. Uh, the Iron Range is a good model. A lot of what is going on in the College of Business is exactly about this, as is the, uh, the, the projects that are going on at, at uh, Minnesota Polytechnic are exactly about this. Our task now is to find out where we can scale this and how we scale it so we're able to, to be clear with students who enter here that these beyond the, the knowledge that you get and the skills that you build, here are the experiences that you will have that will position you, not just for your first job, but for a life of career. Could you give an example, maybe through the Polytechnic Institute and how that looks? Sure. So we have our faculty working with uh, uh, business leaders in the community there on specific, pro specific projects that uh, uh, corporations have. So they will design, here's a problem that we're, that we're struggling with, and we, we're not sure how to answer it. So our students and our faculty working with representatives of that industry work together in a project space on what would be a reasonable solution for how to do something we're working with, with uh, computer engineering. How, how would we be able to engineer an answer to this challenge that no one individually has found an answer to yet? So that whatever the students come up with, we would be able to uh, help the, the industry figure out an answer. A good example of this, by the way, was out of the College of Business last Thursday. Uh, we um, had a, a year-long uh, effort with one of our candy-making organizations, an alum of ours. Maude Borup, we interviewed. That's right. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, they'd asked uh, uh, one of our projects in the College of Business to the IBE project, how is it that, uh, you know, could a team come up with a new product that, that could be marketed successfully? And these teams spent a year working with the, the uh, folks at Modbora and working with our faculty and our staff to try to come up with projects that then the, uh, the best one was selected that they will try to take to market. It's that kind of collaborative work that creates this unique and very special experience for our students that not only helps them understand how business works, but more than that, it gives them a sense of what their capabilities are in that environment. Are we going to be able to get these degrees in four years, or is it going to be a different trajectory in terms of how people are going to be getting? You know, I know now it's, you generally say four, you should get it in four years, but there's, you know, five years, six years. 
Is there any thoughts on that? There are a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> and the big thought is that the answer changes depending on who you're educating. Okay. Because if we are working with uh, students that are working adults in industry somewhere in the state sure. and they choose to come back and, and get a degree, that will look different for them because their, their timeline for that student may be six years, may be seven years. Or there may be students that come back and they want to get an MBA, but they're not going to be able to come sit in a classroom here, they're working in the Twin Cities, they might choose that that's a three or four year project. For our traditional age students, or 18 to mm -hmm. 24 uh, students, my, my view is this. We ought to ensure that every student has the ability to complete their degree in four years. But students often choose differently. Sure. They may choose to, to work for a while. They may choose to travel. They may have family issues. They may choose many other things that will delay them. But whatever delays them, or if it's a six-year, eight-year project, I just want to make sure that, that we're not the ones that cause that, that that's part of the student's plan. Sure. And when I say plan, I mean a lot of things accidental happen to, to students. I want to make sure that they have resources on campus to know how they come back or how they structure their degree program so that we don't lose them. I mean, across our state, there are almost 600,000 students that are all but you know completed with a four-year degree and stepped out many from covid but many for a lot of other reasons our system our campus ought to make sure that those students have easy clear pathways to get back to us to finish their degree because the worst outcome is a student that has debt and no degree i mean that doesn't help anybody right so to avoid that for us but also to make sure that uh, where there's unmet need in our state we ought to be there to help cover it are we still going to be continuing with online the and in class like COVID forced us to do? I think that our online tools will always be a part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And in class is a part of what we do. And whether it's the high flex is part of what we do. And our provost is working on, you know, how do we make this most available for students? At the end, at the end of the day, I mean, students have a lot of different demands on their time. I want to make sure that we're able to provide service for them how and where they need us. That said, and while I think some entirely online degrees will be part of our portfolio, mm -hmm. I don't want to lose sight of this place has something special, not the least of which is reflected in the strategic plan is the, the tight connection that we have our, with our community and the leading uh, economic forces of our community that uh, I think you have to be here to experience some of that. I mean, that's part of the idea about making a plan around the experience we want our students to have. And so I do think there's a, a, an important place that this region, our city, plays in how our students are educated. How does the tuition look in the future? You know, we've been talking about the legislature. Are they doing anything to try to help with that plan? You know, we've heard about Biden's plan to take care of... Uh, you know, debt and that sort of thing. How are things looking in the tuition world? Are we looking at more increases? Are there help out there? What do you think is happening there? We're asking the legislature to fund a 3.5% uh, tuition increase. Our okay. costs go up that oh. much. And, and one of the things I remind people that I, I talk with is, you know, when I went to school, uh, you know, minimum wage was $2.65 mm -hmm. an hour and tuition was uh, $620 a year. I could pay that off in six weeks of working a full-time job at minimum wage. Right. Now at minimum wage to pay our tuition, a student's going to work for 26 weeks. That means that they're working while they're in school and juggling a lot of things. We need to take pressure off students that allow them to focus on their studies. So whatever that looks like, whether it is uh, some underwritten you know, free education at some point, whether it is uh, our ability to, to reduce the cost of our programming, like textbooks, to to 
reduce how much students have out of pocket, to reduce their debt, that's important. And then scholarships are clearly important there to help offset some of the costs that students bring with them. And I know Minnesota State has really dug in with doing scholarships and getting support for students, even if it's an emergency loan or something, if your car breaks down. So all of those things that could prevent a student from one one flat tire away from finishing school, for example. Well, oftentimes the difference of the student completing or not is $500 to $1,000. Wow. It's a stunningly low amount to you or me, but to the student it causes a choice. And often you have to choose your your how your family your rent your car uh your job i want to lessen that i want to find ways that we can reduce their overall costs and part of that is to ensure that they have a four-year pathway because every year they go is another potential twenty-five thousand dollars of cost that they bear right Let's see, what else do I have? Uh, I was going to ask you about enrollment. How are things, you know, we've looked across the nation, I think, and a lot of folks are losing students because Mm -hmm. a lot of them are going maybe directly in the job force. And so how are things looking for Minnesota State? No, it's it's a great question. I've read a lot about students going straight into the the workforce because they perceive Mm -hmm. that the value add of a four-year degree is less than the value add of going straight into the workforce. And for certain areas, that, that is true. In the long run, over a lifetime, students that have been prepared with at least a baccalaureate degree will do better financially than other students. Now, that's different in different sectors of the economy, and it so much depends on the student as well as what it is they choose to do. That said, though, uh, we're seeing nationally that students are choosing not so much to step out as much as they are choosing to go to different types of colleges or universities, some not accredited like Google University or YouTube University, um, but others will choose to, to uh, go to a place that has an environment that they want to be in, that, that's the place they want to study. And for whatever reason, sometimes Minnesota doesn't seem as attractive as, say, going to California Well, or you know, to there Texas are the winters we've got, right? That's what I hear. <laughs> but all that said... I think it comes down to students select where they have the greatest value for their time and their money, but also perceive the greatest outcome. And so as I look at the numbers for next year, our applications are way up. And our expected yield now will mean that we will grow another 2% or so. And this year, we grew by a percent. So my, my belief is that we will continue to demonstrate our value to prospective students, their families, to, to our community, and, and to the people that employ our students. And that will help us generate the resources that we need to be able to have these experiential kinds of programs. But I think we have to stay on top of that market. We have to think very carefully and very strategically about where we invest the dollars and the time to get these outcomes that draw students to us. I think we have a wonderful value proposition for our students. I think we do an excellent job with our students. I just want to make sure that we don't get uh, comfortable and and rest on our laurels at a time when everyone else is having to be especially competitive. You see that with the other universities advertising aggressively in our market Mm -hmm. because our Pre-K-12 students, they're top flight. They're the best in, among the best in the nation. Any university would be happy to have them. Uh, we just have to make sure that we're, we always put our value proposition forward, that we will have the very best experience here. Here's why, and here's what we're doing that's different. How do you do that, though? What do you, I mean, what is it going to take to get people to believe that? Well, the best story we have to tell is through our students. 
right? The students that leave here tell powerful stories. Our career uh, center, by the way, takes uh, uh, short videos of our students that have excelled a short time out of school and makes those available for incoming students. We have people in our community that regularly go out and talk to prospective students. I think our athletic teams do such a good job because so many of the st prospective students that I talk with were originally introduced to us because we have students competing in nationals all over the country. And I, I think, you know, the, the things that we showcase are things that 18-year-olds or traditional students want to be a part of. This is a winning university, not only in terms of athletics, but you look at our alums. Our alums have gone on to do remarkably good things, and they are showcased regularly. We are going to do more showcasing of that. And I, I think as we redesign our website, we're going to be uh, in a position of, of focusing it much more on marketing about our value proposition that we think is unique, important, and being able to, to show people that this campus produces real winners. And who wouldn't want to be part of that? We just had a, one of our students do a story on our distinguished alumni, who yep. are incredible, successful stories yep. year after year. So that is one thing that is really impressive if people can take the time to, to look at that. You know, one of the, the real privileges that I've, I've had starting here of not knowing anybody for the last, you know, almost two years is I've gotten to meet many of our alums and I've gotten to uh, travel to places where they are and to hear their stories and have dinner with them and to speak with uh, all the different people that are part of our history and, and what they've accomplished in their lives. And I don't just mean monetarily, what they've done in their communities, what they've done establishing a startup, what they've done to give back to their families, to their communities. These are remarkable stories. And these are the kinds of stories that, that, I, so, that are so important to share with our prospective students because this could be you. And this is a campus that's dedicated to their success, and here's how. I want to give you the opportunity to plug something I know is very oh, yes. important, and that is the Minnesota Best Poll. Minnesota <laughs> State University Mankato has been at the top of that poll for at least two years that I know of, correct? Yes. I find this to be an exceptional place. And everything that I've, I've looked at, and I've been in a few places, right? Mm -hmm. I think it is wonderful that we get recognized for that. I would ask everyone to uh, log in and uh, uh, answer in the poll the, the, the different pieces about our communities that are important, but certainly what it is that this campus does. I, uh, you know, just from the perspective of, of talking with the community leaders around here, uh, it's not surprising to me that in the, the economic impact assessment that was done, that we contribute almost a billion dollars, $827 million. But when you look at the combined impact that we have with South Central College, as we begin to, mm -hmm. to do more and more in partnership with South Central College, our combined impact is over a billion dollars that we bring back to our community, leadership development, development in the trades, development in startups. And I, 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 those are the reasons, I think, that make this not only a vibrant university and one that really focuses on the success of the students that come through here, but also focuses on the success of our community, which is why I would urge everyone to rate us as uh, Minnesota's best. And I want to let you people know it is www.votemnbest.com. I checked that out just to make sure. But I'm that glad would be, you did. That would be great. Yeah, anything else you want to add before I let you go? Uh, it sounds like it's just been a very busy year and a lot of great things going on. You know, almost two years in, mm -hmm. having not been able to come to campus for interviews or anything, Every day that goes by, and you know, we, we have our warts and our challenges, but every day that goes by is a marvel. Every day that goes by, uh, this campus just 
amazes me with how vibrant it is, how intense it is, how caring it is, but most important of how, is how much we focus on the experience we want our students to have to propel them to a place where they will be successful. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time. We've been talking with President Edward Inch, the president here at Minnesota State University, Mankato. We thank you for your time. And thank you. Go Mavs. Go Mavs. <laughs> <laughs>